Hey everybody, welcome to Therapy for Humans, the podcast where if you're not careful, you might just pick up some tips on how to survive as a more or less psychologically intact human in the modern world. My name is Rowan, and I'll be your host. Welcome back, episode 26, Therapy for Humans. Glad you could make it. So, you know, I get a lot of first-time-in-therapy clients coming in, and some veterans of bad therapy sessions coming in, and both kind of stating clearly that they're either skeptical or just downright convinced that therapy is either not for them or it won't be helpful or it's just plain stupid. So why are they there? Usually because their spouse threw down an ultimatum about doing some couples work or just getting the fuck out or because they've tried everything else and they're at the end of their rope and they don't know what else to do. So they fall back on this thing that they feel like is probably just stupid. I had one client last week tell me to my face that therapy was all smoke and mirrors. Um, You know, he's entitled to his opinion. Um, I got an email this morning from somebody who wanted to see me and then went on their whole email was about how skeptical they are, which I actually loved. And I'm I'm hoping that they um, circle back and make an appointment because that's the kind of thing that actually can work. So anyway, um, I don't know. I, I just, I really like getting these kinds of folks into my office for a number of reasons. First, having been to some bad therapists in the past, I totally get where they're coming from. And or therapy is one of those things that can be a spectacular, life-changing experience or an absolute waste of money and at the, at the extreme even damaging. And it all depends on who you're in the room with. And as I've said before, it's not a matter of good therapist versus bad therapist. Sometimes it's just not a good fit. I definitely have had clients that did not get what they needed from me because it wasn't a good fit. I also have clients that make me feel like the most amazing fucking therapist in the world every time I see them because it's a really good fit. And I I don't even know what that's about, honestly. It just is what it is. Anyway, the second reason I like these clients is that right from the start, we're being real with each other. So when someone comes in and states that they're skeptical, it gives us a really authentic place to start and not a place where I can like win them over or convince them that they're wrong, but an opportunity to create something between us that's of value to them. I'll often ask new clients to tell me about their past experience with therapy and specifically what did not work for them. Not because I want to feel superior to my local colleagues, but because I want to know what they didn't connect with so that we can stay away from that. So I don't end up just bumping down the same road that's not working than that other therapist did. So I've talked before about clients needing to feel empowered in the process. And most of the time, they don't, honestly. And I think for many, it's connected to the medical industry. For a lot of people, coming in to see a therapist feels a little like a trip to the doctor, even though it really shouldn't feel that way. But in our current medical model, the patient does not feel empowered. We go into the office, and we wait until we're told what to do about whatever's going on with us. Discussion, dissension, further inquiry is really not encouraged. The system is set up that way. It's just easier to deal with a patient that doesn't feel empowered. So a lot of people bring that same mindset into the therapy office. So as you can imagine, this can lead to a bit of a surprise when they realize that this is not how it's going to go in here. I want you to be a willing and enthusiastic participant in the process. And honestly, if you're not, then you're probably wasting your time and money in therapy. So 
Coming back to that medical model, often my clients expect me to have all the answers, just like we want to believe that our medical doctors always know exactly what we need to get better. They don't, by the way, but we want to believe that they do. So case in point, I had a client come in a while back who had a sleep issue that had plagued them for a really long time. He was an older guy, kind of a storyteller, and I liked him immediately. He also seemed to be carrying that medical model with him that I would be able to quote unquote fix him. So he told me a story with more than a few completely entertaining side trips about his life along the way. And towards the end of the session, he looked at me and said, so do you know what's wrong with me? Can you fix it? And I leaned in and I said, I don't have a fucking clue about what's going on here. That got his attention. (laughs) It clearly wasn't what he was expecting, but I followed it up with, you know, I do think that if you and I get after it together, we can come up with some answers. Now, I may have overstated my ignorance a little bit since I did have some thoughts on what might be causing some of the issues and what we might be able to do about it. But this is our first session, and I also wanted him to know that there were no guarantees and that I wasn't going to tell him that I could magically fix him and that this was going to be something that we bumped around on together until we hit on some things that improved his situation. And I didn't want to come across as sounding like I did have all the answers, even though he was kind of hungry for that scenario. And it did get better for him. There were some things that happened that had nothing to do with our talks that may have contributed. And there were some discussions that we had together that may have played a role. And the cool part, honestly, is that we were both okay with not knowing for sure what had helped to improve that. It just got better. And he still wants to come back from time to time to chat. So I guess the moral of the story here is that I think it's okay to leave some room for skepticism. I think it's an important component for some clients. For others, it's not, and that's okay too. Um, Usually if people have had a really good experience in therapy in the past and they're ready to kind of do another chunk of work, they come in without that skepticism. But for those who are unsure of that process, it allows them some more freedom in it. To hold that uncertainty is important for them because if they're allowed that, then they are often more likely to be open to the possibility that this can be beneficial. And if you're paying close attention here, it might seem like I contradicted myself, and it certainly wouldn't be the first time. But when I said that I want my clients to be willing and enthusiastic participants in the process, that doesn't mean that some level of doubt can't be in the mix. This isn't magical work we're doing. It doesn't require absolute commitment to the process or it won't work. You can be skeptical and still find benefit. So on another but related note, I've been told countless times at this point and and for some reason more than usual in the last few weeks that I don't seem like a therapist in quotes or like that my approach is not what people expect Um, in couples work for example I don't have my couples sit close together holding hands and gazing into each other's eyes for five minutes honestly most of my couples would run screaming from the room and never return if I did that and not that that approach isn't beneficial for some couples there are plenty of therapists out there who use this method It's just not my style, which gets back to that fit thing. Intimacy with your partner is the cornerstone of a good marriage, but that looks different for every couple. I work with people who would never engage in that kind of soul gazing, but when they mountain bike together, it's better than sex for them. Or maybe they connect by polishing off a bottle of wine and watching design shows on Netflix. Whatever, man. I mean, it's about you. It's not about me. And this is what I think is the important part. Intimacy needs to feel authentic. Even intimacy exercises need to feel authentic. And if you're being asked to create intimacy in front of someone you don't know well in a way that doesn't work for you, why the fuck would that feel good? 
it kind of reminds me of grad school when we would do role plays. We get up in front of the class and one of us would pretend to be the therapist and the other would pretend to be the client with a particular issue. And that exercise looks good on paper, right? But it really doesn't work because it's not real. It's not authentic and everybody knows it, especially the two who are doing the role play. It feels super awkward and super contrived because it is. So they don't connect. And you can't do therapy if you don't connect. On the other hand, when someone was brave enough to talk about a real issue that they were struggling with, and we could see that play out, it had some real juice to it, and we all felt it. The connection was there, and it looked and felt like real therapy. Because it was. So the same is true for any exercises that we put our clients through. It can't be so contrived that it's outside of what they would ever do with one another outside of session. So back to our couple, instead of some kind of forced intimacy exercise, I might ask one of them to talk about something that their partner did that annoyed them this week. Often it's a little thing. You left your coffee mug on the counter for me to put away again. Okay, so why is that a big deal? Because I've asked them literally for years just to put the fucking mug in the dishwasher. Okay, so how is it for you when you see that thing sitting there? And down and down we go, eventually ending up at a place that sounds something like, it just makes me feel like you don't care about me. It's not about the coffee mug. It just makes me feel discounted, not valued. And this is generally when the tears come out because it's not about the coffee mug. It's about a million things over the years that add up to that person not feeling valued by their partner, often with their partner being completely clueless that this is what their experience has been. And that's what intimacy looks like, at least in my book. And for the record... I'm just as likely to ask about something that they really loved that their partner did. So it's not about good versus bad. It's really just about getting under all of that surface shit and hearing about what drives your partner's emotional response to your actions. Okay. That's all I got. 10 minutes of whatever the fuck that was. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have something that you'd like me to talk about on the podcast, please get in touch with me. You can email me at rowan at therapyforhumanspodcast.com. Uh, I think I'm about to actually undo the phone number for the podcast since I never really get any phone calls and it's costing me a little bit of money each month. So don't call the number. Email me and uh, I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to see me live and in person for therapy, even if you are skeptical, <laughs> you can get in touch with me through DurangoPsychotherapy.com. And you can call or text me at 903-3893. So until next time, take care of yourself. Take care of each other.